Hi, everyone. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined, as always, by my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And, Wes, we are back from the bye weekend, so welcome back to the office, my friend. God, that went by quick, didn't it? It did. It went by, like, it went by awfully fast. So I'm sitting on my couch on uh, Sunday evening. We're taping this on Monday morning, and I'm just sitting there. I'm laying there. I'm watching television, and I'm just like, where has the past week gone? Yeah. Now... <laughs> 48% of that is insider inbox, but the rest of it, yeah. I'm like, it just blew by. I know. And uh, I know. here we are into week 12 already. How quickly the NFL season goes by, and unfortunately, the bye week even quicker. Yeah, well, we need to discuss what happened in the NFL while the Packers were not playing because there were a couple of moments on Sunday, the way things were unfolding, it was looking like Green Bay was going to get some much-desired results with the Broncos ahead of the Vikings 20 to nothing at halftime. The Arizona Cardinals were leading the San Francisco 49ers 16 to nothing in the second quarter, I believe it was, before the 49ers got on the board. Both of those, the home teams, the better teams, came back and took care of business and got the victories, but, uh, but a lot of drama there that... Uh, that certainly had an opportunity to go Green Bay's way. Well, the 49ers game specifically is one we have to talk about because a week ago I was sitting here telling you, you know, they're fundamental, they do everything right, they're good running the football. And then here is this random occurrence where the pass-heavy aerial offense, air raid that Arizona employs, well, Kyler Murray has 150 passing yards. Meanwhile, their running game dominates – San Francisco, which I think might have had, what, 40 rushing yards yeah. among them? And Jimmy Garoppolo throws for yeah, 400 throws, yards and four touchdowns. Yeah, throws the four touchdowns. I mean, just, again, it seems like it's becoming a recurring theme on the show this year, but, like, every single week is just a reminder how everything can change. Yeah. And you got to give the San Francisco 49ers credit because they came off of a demoralizing situation a week ago, and I said to you before we went on hiatus last week, the Arizona Cardinals cannot yep. be taken lightly. They played them yep. t- tough the first time. They played them tough again. Yep. But San Francisco, as good teams do, as you said, found a way to get that win in the second half. Yeah, I as I said at Insider Inbox this morning in the column, I give the San Francisco 49ers a lot of credit for pulling that out because they were on a short week having played an overtime game an over that went the full right. overtime, the whole 10 minutes. A, uh, a, a frustrating loss, their first loss of the season. They had to bounce back. Now, they didn't have travel involved, which helped them because they, they, they're on this stretch of home games right now. But on a short week, you know, a pesky, improving division rival in the Arizona Cardinals coming in, a team that had already played them tough, as you mentioned, the first time they met. And the 49ers found, uh, they, they found a way to get it done. And then the Vegas thing kind of all blew up with the last play of the game, but that's a discussion. It's <laughs> a, diff- a different for, show. Yeah, that's a dis- discussion for another day. But um, but no, you're right. And and the 49ers, there could be for them, and this is what will be interesting now leading into the game with the Packers this week because you said it. The 49ers did not follow their tried and true formula, what they did for the first two months of the yeah. season to win this game. They couldn't run the ball. They turned they they turned the game over to Garoppolo, and uh, and he passed uh, passed them with uh, the the statistics, the numbers he put up to a uh, to a big victory to keep them on top of the NFC at nine and one, where you have the Packers, the Seahawks. The Saints are all eight and yeah. two, and now you have the Vikings at eight and three. Well, this is a great performance by Jimmy Garoppolo for that reason, because I think so many times people are like, "Okay, how good is Jimmy Garoppolo?" And he's not without fault. I mean, he's going to end up 
turning over the football, you know, passing-wise interceptions, probably over a dozen times this season is what he's on pace for, but yet he finds a way to win. And this was a game where the passing game needed to carry them. Oh, and then by the way, you don't have George Kittle. Emmanuel Sanders plays, but he's dealing with the rib injury. So Debo Samuel becomes a big right. part of this offense. Right. Um, you see different, uh, you know, Kyle Juszczyk, this was a reminder of what that position can do, if, you know, in terms of being able to move the chains in this game. Seven catches for 63 yards. They yeah. didn't have Matt uh, Breida as well. So just uh, for them to find a way, that's great for them to be sitting where they are, number one seed right now in the NFC playoff chase. But I think this was a reminder for the second straight week, Mike. And again, we're going to be able to you know go play this thing out on Sunday night. But yeah. 49ers are not without fault. They're not infallible. The Packers have a realistic chance of going in there. I think they're going to end up being a couple point underdogs right now is the way it's looking. But a lot of that is going to be the home field advantage. Yeah, no question about it. And certainly there uh, there are some things that have been put on film the last couple of weeks by the Seattle Seahawks and the Arizona Cardinals that uh, that show a little bit of vulnerability with uh, the 49ers. And that's to be expected as we talk about. It's a 16-game season. Yes, the Niners were 8-0 at right. the halfway point. They get uh, all the credit in the world for doing that. But 16 games is a long season, and eventually – there are going to be some some chinks in the armor, you know, some cracks in the foundation, and uh, and good teams are going to have an opportunity to take advantage of that. The Seahawks did and got a big victory on the road. The Cardinals almost did, couldn't quite hold on. The 49ers kept coming back. They were down 16 nothing. Then they were trailing again in the fourth quarter. They came back a couple of times in order to get that. I do want to talk also though about the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah. Down twenty to nothing to the Denver Broncos. This was the game I probably watched. I spent more time watching this one than any other um, on Sunday. And I'll say this: I'll just repeat what I said in Insider Inbox. When the Broncos blew the chance at the end of the first half to add to the twenty to nothing lead, when Brandon Allen tried to force a pass, you know, to the goal line over the middle, it got picked off. They were easily going to add another field goal and at least get to twenty three to nothing, and that didn't happen. And then when, when Denver's defense, which had played such great football in the first half, just allowed the Vikings to march right down the field and score to open the second half, it just felt to me like the outcome was inevitable, that Minnesota yeah. was going to come back and win this game, and they did. Well, here's the thing. I'm sure there's a lot of Minnesota Vikings fans that watch a show called Packers Unscripted, but my message to all of them <laughs> would be, this is why you need to at least appreciate Kirk Cousins and why they made the investment that they did. Hey, I get it. He, he's not the second coming of Joe Montana. Nobody really is, right? But they were chasing a solution at quarterback. They wanted a firm foundation at quarterback. Like it or not, Kirk Cousins gives you that in a league where it's very difficult to establish yep. and find those players. For Kirk Cousins to have the performance he did against a Vic Fangio defense that had a lot of success against Delvin Cook in the run and was able to you know, do a lot of things schematically to challenge them in the first half, for them to battle back from that, shows you why the Minnesota Vikings are still contenders. And as you and I have been discussing for the last few weeks, why they've been able to sort of rise from the ashes to make this type of run that they're at. Conversely, Denver Broncos have a lot of problems right now. That was just a, that was just a defensive meltdown in the second yeah. half. I mean, for them to pitch that first half shutout, yardage-wise, they're ranked fourth in the league with that defense coming into the game, and then in the second half with a with a three-score lead, four possessions, four touchdowns by the Minnesota Vikings. The Broncos could not get a stop 
to save their lives when really one stop might have been all they needed in the second half to win that game. Yeah, and the thing I really didn't like, to be honest with you, after the game, Vic Fangio saying his big quote, I think it's leading off NFL.com right now, is we'll eventually get it done. Ah, that's not going to cut it. Yeah, you need to get it done. I, I could see. I'm I'm four and seven right now in my fantasy football league. I can stay there every Tuesday morning and say, hey, I'm going to eventually get it done. <laughs> The results are what they are. You can point towards the quarterback situation, but that's been a thing for the few years now for the Broncos. You can point towards the running game, but you know you haven't really been able to find and recreate the magic that they had last year. Your bread and butter has to be the defense, and they put themselves in a position to win that yeah. game early, and yep. they fell apart late. And that's why you're sitting where you are right now in week 12. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, give the Vikings credit. They certainly stormed back from what was looking like a true clunker of, of a performance. And, and it was happening at home. The, the fans at U.S. Bank Stadium were obviously letting them hear it, you know, walking off the field at 20 to nothing. Um, and it sh as I mentioned, it should have been worse than 20 to nothing because after the, the fumble on the kickoff, the Broncos were in position to add even more points before halftime, and they blew that opportunity. Um, did you see the end of the game, the final sequence yeah. by the by the goal line? Um, again, a discussion for another day with regards to the whole pass interference rule. But all three of those plays, there were some interesting things going on. I think the one that stands out the most to people is the receiver getting his face mask grabbed as the ball is coming, which Gene Steratore, the rules expert and former NFL official who was uh, – um, you know, doing the the usual broadcast thing on Sunday, he actually put out there on Twitter that hey, like face mask is not a reviewable penalty, but because the ball was in the air, you could construe that as pass interference, pass interference. with the guy grabbing the face mask. They didn't even stop the game to take a no. look at it, you know, nothing like that, and uh, and uh, the Vikings escape with a victory. It's almost kind of like an ignorance bliss a little bit because uh, <laughs> those plays happen now, and I'm not even disappointed. I'm no, not even, I don't even think twice about no. it. Now, the first couple weeks of the season, it's like, come on, what are you thinking? But when you start to understand, it's just like, you know, your, your regular standard recess basketball game. When you start to understand the <laughs> rules of how we're going to play this thing, you're no longer disappointed when a certain thing doesn't go the way. I, we, again, a discussion for another day. As long and as drawn out as that process was last year, trying to figure out how they're going to change the officiating rules, yeah. they're going to have to sit in that room twice as long this offseason. Yep. And my hope is, and I called it last year, Mike, not Barry Horowitzing myself here, but I called it last year. You saw all these things mounting leading up to the NFC Championship game. Yep. There was call after call, and it's like, that's not just going to magically stop. Yep. There's going to be a critical moment, one of these playoff games, where they're yep. going to have to make a decision and that decision is really going to have some big implications. It's They don't disappear. They only compound, and that's something the league's going to have to deal with. Yeah, I mean, it certainly feels like this year is headed that way as far as the postseason as well with, with whether these PI reviews, I mean, the, the streak. I, I know, I guess there were a couple of PI reviews yesterday that actually got changed, but when you look at the fact that the one in the Minnesota game wasn't even really looked at, the one in the... Uh, Houston Baltimore yeah. game that was uh, that was challenged and the call on the field was not overturned. This this is this is headed for another potential postseason disaster that is that is going to knock somebody out of the playoffs in potentially a very unjust manner. And uh, um, we'll figure out we, the owners' meetings. Yeah, I guess I guess so. You know what is interesting though is we, the Packers were benefits of that that uh, you know screen type call. I think that was against the Bears game, right? Where it ended up being the receiver pick play. That was Minnesota. Minnesota week two. Week two. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was going to set a precedent for the season. It didn't. No, and it's the, weird it, that it, that, didn't get it, it actually. I 
I, I think what that did, because because that was essentially an offensive pass interference flag that was dropped from New York, so to speak, yeah. when they looked at the touchdown play, I think that's the play that changed everything because there there started to be a message that was sent like hey that's not what this rule was put in for is to to be looking at touchdowns and then dropping flags from New York so then the whole thing has gone the other way to where the percentages of the calls that are being upheld on the field regardless of what the replay looks like on these PI reviews yeah. and coaches who are still trying to challenge things even though it's futile because they're not going to get the call to go their way. I think the I think the call at Lambeau Field in week two on that offensive pass interference against the Vikings, I think that's the one that changed everything. Because yeah. it, it was really weird. I remember just being kind of flabbergasted sitting in my seat that they actually it was the right call yeah, it from was. our vantage point. But it's yeah, it, weird was, that it was it was stun it was stunning that 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 basically New York took a touchdown away on a scoring play. It was automatically reviewed, and they said, oh, there's offensive pass interference right there. That's no touchdown. And uh, it cost the Vikings four points because they ended up kicking a field yeah, goal on just, that it's, drive. So It's fascinating the way that these things get interpreted. Yeah. I, again, I wrote it in Insider Inbox last week. I don't want to be an NFL official. I have no interest <laughs> in doing it. But, man, the way that this game is right now, I mean, it's, it's one thing to not want to do the job. I don't want to be a high school basketball ref. Yeah. But it's another thing for the way that it's being interpreted. It's, it's, it's there is an element of kind of I don't want to get all into it, but it's well, almost know, a superiority. It's it's yeah. come off as well. You you know you know my take, which is that I think we've reached the point. And again, discussion for another day. We've reached the point where the call in the field can't matter anymore. They just have, if yeah. something goes to replay, you look at the replay and you call what you see. And, and to heck with whatever the call is on the field. But nobody, nobody seems to really want to go in that direction, even though I think the technology dictates that the call in the field really just shouldn't carry the weight that it carries in. And that's the coincidental kind of aspect of this is that originally the whole thing was the league office is going to make the call. The referees, they'll be on the headset, they'll be there to give their input, yeah. but that it really doesn't bear. And ultimately that's but, what it came down yeah, to. Yeah, the call in the, the call in the field is still carrying the day. We got to get to your Darren College start because I want to oh, discuss that. Yeah. But okay. um, before we get to that Thursday night football, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about it, the whole fiasco with Miles Oh, Garrett. my goodness. Do you have a quick take on that at all? Because I have my several, but I'm curious. My, my, my quick take is I can't believe all the people who are screaming for Mason Rudolph to get suspended out of this thing. Yeah. Now, look, if Mason Rudolph gets a fine, I'm totally cool sure. with that. Yeah. He, he overreacted to the situation. But if, if Miles Garrett, even if Miles Garrett yanks the helmet off, and just drops it sure. and throws it yeah. aside. Nobody's talking about suspensions nope. here for anybody at all. Miles Garrett is the one who escalated this thing to the level that it is. He and then and and I don't disagree with the suspension for Marquise Pouncey because you you start throwing punches, you're going to get suspended. And I think he escalated from a one-game suspension to a three-game suspension with the kicking yeah. when Garrett was on the ground. So I think. From what I've heard so far, I think this has been adjudicated properly mm -hmm. by the NFL. But, man, I have never, just going back to the incident itself, I have never seen anything quite so barbaric on an NFL field. And it's 2019, and I wrote about this at Inbox. You edited it last week. With everything we know about heck, head and neck injuries oh my now, goodness. this is unacceptable. Because someone mentioned, you know, the whole thing, you know, you go back to the you know Jim McMahon incident with the Packers back in the late 80s. Egregious, terrible it was a different time. Yes. Unfortunately, those things happen, but it was a, a nittier, grittier, and in some cases, dumber 
way to play the game. We understand what we're dealing with now. I mean, in terms of the, the gravity of some of these things, to be chucking a helmet like that, if you hit him on the temple, if that thing hits him with the crown of the helmet, we're talking about significant implications beyond the game of You're football. talking about possibly a fractured skull. I so, mean, that, so it, and you and yeah. I have held NFL helmets. I don't My know how goodness. many viewers have. But, I mean, the way that these things have been developed now and the way – I mean, these – these aren't, they're not throwing around the, you know, nerf no, the one, things. No, so. the, ones, the ones that we got under the Christmas trees when we were kids, yeah. those, those have about 20% of the, the mass and weight of an actual NFL helmet. I mean, uh, um, these, things are, In, these things are dangerous when they're getting swung around like that. And, uh, and, and to see that, I mean, I, you know, I know Miles Garrett is going to appeal his suspension. I think this is a really interesting issue as far as how much does the union stand behind a guy when one of its members... <laughs> just flat out assaulted and attacked and another another union member with uh with a weapon like a helmet i mean th th this is this is to me this is unprecedented at least in my lifetime in, in following the nfl i expect the union and the pa to to do that is their job is to to protect miles garrett you know and defend him that they are the defense attorney in that way i do appreciate though that we're now a couple days removed for this that they didn't just come out and like levy down on the NFL for the suspensions. Whatever has to happen in the appeals process, and that'll be up to Derek Brooks and, and James Thrash, but right. that, that I thought, sent an important message that this is... The, the Demarius Randall thing, I thought that was an egregious hit, uh, unnecessary. It was in the realm of football play, though. Yes, absolutely. It's these, but the, but that's to, what that's that's yeah. the that's the football play they're trying to legislate out of the game. They've put in the remedies now. When they see it, they're gonna they're gonna kick a guy out, and and that's that's where things are headed. But yes, it was a it was a football play. It was done wrongly, and and uh, and the punishment was proper. And the one thing I will say to the people that are wanting punishment for Rudolph, that I I really liked that the NFL stepped in. They they find both organizations because to be honest with you, it's just unacceptable on so many counts. There's yeah. eight seconds left in the game. Yeah. Whether or not Miles Garrett took down Rudolph when he shouldn't have, I think that's what escalated for Rudolph. Yeah, that, that's but what then, that's what that's what started it for the quarterback. And then as I say, he overreacted. Then the other guy overreacted, and then the Benches get, Just get the your benches teams get under involved. Control, and, man. Yeah, yeah, that's you know, there's no there's there's no place for that. There's no place for that. There's no need for that. And uh and yeah, I mean it's it's just a it, it's an ugly it's an ugly black mark on a league that was that that has been trying with a lot of safety rules and everything else to clean up the game and uh and this one this one sent the league back a few steps. And last thing cuz I really want to discuss college. It was a great story. This is why you want to talk about wins and losses beyond suspensions, beyond fines, all those things. Look at why the New England Patriots just won their 19th straight winning season. Like they just clinched their 19th yeah. straight. Yeah. Belichick, the Patriots, the teams that do it right play disciplined football. They do it in quarter one, they do it in quarter four. And I, I just think when you look at where Cleveland season's at right now and how things are going, that's the difference. I, you want to win football games, play disciplined. Yeah. Don't do egregious stuff, be, be fundamental. Yeah. Is what it is. I yeah. like I said on Twitter after the game. I wish I wouldn't even have watched it. Yeah, I, there's a, there's a part of me that wishes I hadn't seen it live either. But um, that being said, we did want to talk a little bit about that. It is November. It is Salute to Service Month in the NFL. You and I have both been uh, have worked on a couple of stories. You had the piece on Danny Vitale earlier. I had one that posted last week um, during the buy on Darren College. For those who remember him. 
He was a second-round draft pick for the Packers in 2006. He played five years in Green Bay, was a starter that entire time, was a starting guard on the Super Bowl 45 championship team. And he is now in the Idaho National Guard, and earlier this year he returned from a 10-month deployment to Afghanistan. Uh, it's a married man, father of two young girls, two uh, elementary school age girls. And, uh, you know, it was it was really, really neat to catch up with him. He's one of the guys that his five years in Green Bay, 2006 was the year I got to the Packers and Packers.com. He was part of that first rookie class that came in. I really enjoyed getting to know him over the five years that he played here. I even actually bumped into him when he finished his final year in the NFL. He was with the Miami Dolphins, and the Packers had beaten the Dolphins down in Miami on that last second uh, fake spike, you know, whole sequence. And um, I actually crossed paths with him as he was coming off the field, and I was making my way down towards the Packer locker room for postgame interviews. And he's the kind of guy, like, he sees me, he stops and says hello, just really quickly, like, hey, good to see you, you know, take it easy. That was the last time I had seen him until he came back and I talked to him about this uh, this deployment to Afghanistan. And uh, boy, you talk about somebody who uh, who is really dedicated to the service element of a post-football career. Um, it's, it's really remarkable what he's doing. I think it takes a special breed of person to, uh, to do what Darren College is doing and, uh, and you know, to go over to Afghanistan and, and to be in some of those danger zones. I, you know, I certainly pray for him just as I do for, uh, for all the servicemen and women over there. But as you know, when it's somebody that you know and you start to think about those kinds of things, it, uh, it feels a little different. Well, and it's incredible. It's an incredible story. I really encourage you to check it out on Packers.com. Still up there now, Call the Duty uh, on Darren Collins' journey. The one quote, though, and I, I'm, I, when I tweeted your story out, this is the quote I pulled. It was from Jason Spitz who has been a longtime friend of college. They obviously operate the winery together. Yeah, they they were they were in the same draft class, back-to-back -back round, second and third round in 2006. They were great friends from the day they arrived in Green Bay. And it was amazing to read that quote when it's like, you know, so many, you know, he just gets done with a nine-year, 10-year NFL career, and then here he is jumping into this, and, and there's a certain aspect from Spitz's perspective. I mean, are you just, are you crazy? Like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. But then when you understand him and you understand what motivates him and, and where he comes from, and, you know, I one thing I learned from the story, I didn't realize that North Pole, Alaska, was actually a big military area. Um, yeah, so, there's a lot, there's, a, there's various military bases up there in Alaska, and he grew up kind of surrounded by that. He had a both a great-grandfather and a grandfather who served in the military, um, and his uh, his brother is also currently in the military, is involved in some uh, in special forces. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, he got done. He got done with a nine year NFL career. Certainly has plenty of money to set up, you know, his family, generations of his family for a long time to come. And uh, and was having a conversation with Jason Spitz and some other friends and feeling like he just he was wasting his life. Yeah. He needed to needed to do something. And yeah. Uh, He's uh, he's slimmed down about 50 pounds. He's about a 310 pound offensive guard. He weighs about 260 now. Just looks, you know, he's he's in great shape. And uh, um, personality wise, he's just he's he's still the same guy. He's yeah. he's a he's a fast talker who will strike up a conversation with anybody. And uh, and just a a really a really really neat guy. And uh, and I hope that uh, you know 
those who want to reminisce a little bit and get to know what he's doing now that he's been out of football for five years, uh, um, you know, check out the story. I really did enjoy the conversation with him. Yeah, and like I said, it's a phenomenal tale. It's incredible to hear what his motivations are, what that experience was like for him, and just where he's at right now uh, in his life. But certainly, you know, the Salute to Service Month, number of members of the military. I know my grandfather served uh, an incredible uh, opportunity to, to really recognize and appreciate the men and women that, that put so much on the line for that, for, you know, our country. And then to see a guy like Darren College, who, when you say like, he felt like he wasn't, he could literally sit on a couch the rest of his yeah. life. Yeah. And be fine and be set. And nobody, and nobody would question it when he, Absolutely when he, not. you know, put his body through what, football players have to put their bodies through to play this game for nine years and and I forget what his total number of games was but he he didn't basically didn't miss a game in Green Bay um he he uh um he started 80 plus games over the course of his five years including playoffs and uh just just a a durable you know the the warrior football mentality type and he's uh he's sort of taken that that uh same mentality into his post football career what a saint his wife is too oh my goodness go through an nfl career where you know he's gone as much as he is you're dedicated to the cause as much he is and then to turn around and decide he wants to do something like that that includes that type of deployment yeah uh, his wife his wife megan as i said two young daughters they were five and seven when he left to go to afghanistan then they both turned six and eight by the time he came back and his wife megan is uh he called her a military brat. She grew up in a military yeah. family that moved around. And, and so, uh, you know, she was familiar with the deal. And as he said, I couldn't do it without her, but she knew everything that was involved when I signed up for it. And uh, um, just uh, my hat, my hat's off to the guy. And uh, um, I, uh, I really did appreciate getting to catch up with him. Yeah. And if you definitely get a chance, check that out. Packers.com still up there now. Really nice read. All right. With that, we will call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. On Twitter, he's at Wes Hod. I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. See you next time.